next episode of the In Development Podcast. My name is Ryan. This is the podcast for all you city builders, city shapers, city dwellers out there that care about driving change towards people-centered communities. On In Development, we talk about how Canadian cities develop in and up, and we are presented by IDEA, the Infill Development in Edmonton Association, which is a nonprofit advocacy and education group that brings together like-minded people working to shape our city. So, Ryan, I don't know if you know this, but in development is kind of awesome. There are people not just since, uh, inside of Edmonton that listen to it, but people in the States as well. What? And you talk about, I know, <laughs> I don't know how it got there. I don't know how they heard about us, but so, <laughs> of course, they found us. <laughs> oh, okay, well, all that to be said, uh, we do reference the Hende uh, in the podcast at, at the end of the episode. And the Hende is Edmonton's biggest ring road uh, that takes you all around the city in an efficient way. Um, and you can go really fast on it, one of our fastest roads. So I just thought I'd give everyone that context. And then we also to talk about Planning Academy. So Planning Academy was something that the city of Edmonton put on. They did it for quite a few years, but they ended it in 2019. And they did it on a bunch of different topics. So when I was in university, I took it as like a good way to do some networking while I was looking for jobs. Um, They talked about infill, transit, um, community conversations, the importance of consultation, the zoning bylaw. Uh, And actually a lot of the people I took it with were like realtors. There were some community members. It was a really like great planning basics. Um, And I think we probably should bring it back now that we're going through a new zoning bylaw change and city plan. I 100% agree. I wish I took that. Um, I went to planning school, so maybe a little bit different. But I guess IDEA has something very similar to this, though, don't we, with the Builder Education Program? Yeah, it's a, that's a great program. I don't think we've never talked about it on this podcast. Five days, in-depth, permits, design, construction, and community consultation and communications, because the community is what makes development happen. Yeah, so Planning Academy lives on through us. yeah uh and we do have a session coming up at the end of november so if you're interested in learning how to do infill in edmonton uh check us out our website has the details now let's get into the episode uh thank you so much kim for joining us today uh we are so lucky to have you we know how incredibly busy you are especially during the summertime when permits are going bonkers right now. So for anyone who's listening in, Kim is the branch manager for development services and urban planning and economy, which is a huge title. And she has tons of different people and different projects on the go underneath her, including planning coordination, safety codes, inspections, subdivision coordination, and the zoning bylaw renewal for all of those idea members who are super excited about that project. Uh, Kim also has worked for the city for the majority of her career, but also took a stint in the private sector. So she has a great view of both sides of the page as she makes decisions. She has sat on the child-friendly coalition and As some of you may know, I have a background in elementary education, so we're both looking to make neighborhoods for all types of people. But Kim, you know yourself way better than I do, so I'll give you a chance to talk a little bit about yourself as well. Well, thank you. Um, Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, So yeah, I'm Kim, as you noted, and city builder and have uh, been focused on city building in Edmonton for most of my career and really looking forward to the discussion here uh, this afternoon. So thanks for having me. 
And yeah, going back to the child friendly initiative, it's um, my sort of priorities have changed over the years. But um, certainly when I became a mom, it made me realize how important it is to be mindful of how we build our cities for kids and how we incorporate kids and um, into our mindset in terms of what we're planning and doing. And um, there was a project I was working on a few years ago, um, introducing multifamily into a mature community. And we hear a lot from communities about how we want to still welcome new families. And so I was doing a bit of research with some work that had been done in Toronto. Uh, they did a some kind of a guidelines document called Growing Up, Planning for Children in New Vertical Communities. And so just made me realize um, the different aspects of how we need to think about what we do to welcome kids into our communities and accommodate really all users within our communities. But um, that was an important um, initiative for me. So there was a time that I uh, did did focus some of my volunteer time into the, the work that the city was doing on that. Yeah. When, uh, when I saw on LinkedIn that you were a part of that, I was so excited because you know, kids are such an important part of our community and they really don't have, they don't have the time or the interest to go sit at council and fight for their rights in planning and development coordination. Uh, so to know that there was a project focus in on that was really exciting. So I I could talk to you about kids stuff for hours, but we've got lots of other projects on the go that I'd love to talk to you about as well. Let's head off with some of the cool things you're working off around um, making the city more business friendly. So I know there's some projects that you're doing uh, around like patios and decks, uh, and you're working on some culture change, but can you talk us talk to us about the last 18 months and what the city's kind of been working on? Where do we start? Do we start with uh, setting the table, so to speak, in terms of the work that we've done uh, and the approvals that we've seen in terms of city council's decisions related to city plan? Um, so that's sort of the big picture stuff. And then we've got smaller, more tactical things that we've been doing on a day-to-day basis um, in terms of supporting businesses and welcoming, welcoming people into our communities. So um, I don't know, where do you want to start? Should we start at City Plan? We can start at City Plan. I do feel like it, it gets, it doesn't get enough airtime, but it gets more airtime than some of your more tactical projects. And I want to give that some airtime today too. So Let's, uh, let's do a few minutes on city plan and then I'll, I'll switch you over. Yeah, no, that's great. So city plan, um, uh, it's a policy document. And I think for some uh, recognize the importance and vision of what that plan is going to do. And, and uh, I think about how, I think it was some 40 years ago, we had half our population. So Edmonton sitting at a million people now, um, and so within my lifetime, I shouldn't maybe say that because I'm now aging myself, <laughs> but 40 years ago, we had 500,000 people and uh, city plans looking about how we're going to grow and welcome the next million people. So what that vision is and how we're going to go about doing it, as well as creating jobs associated with that. And so the plan itself has um, a vision to create over 500,000 jobs. That's sort of the big move that we've made. Uh, Council approved recently in terms of that vision document of how we want to grow as a city. And it's all things related to investing in mass transit, focusing development and redevelopment in our nodes and corridors for mixed use type of development, looking at how we can address climate change. Uh, looking at how we can uh, be greener as we grow and remaining competitive uh, because we know that to attract and retain talent in our city, 
we need to make Edmonton uh, be the first choice for that in terms of creating that livability because we're more mobile now that we're work we can work work remotely. But um, so yeah, the city plan is just a really important vision document in terms of the work that we're doing. But in terms of you know what we're doing to make it easier to do business with us, making it easier to invest in our city. There's lots of work happening within the department and within the branch. So in develop, development services, the branch I'm uh, the branch manager for, uh, we do all of the sort of I'll call it the on the ground planning work. So the rezoning applications, subdivisions, servicing agreements, development permits, building permits, and all the inspections and things associated with those types of services. So we are doing the zoning bylaw renewal. Again, that's that's a big project, but we can maybe spend some time on that. But just some of those smaller, more tactical things that we've been doing is we're looking, um, or through COVID, we launched the patios to uh, automate basically allowing pat- patios to open and expand businesses or retail shops um, so people could still kind of accommodate uh, users and um, customers to support their business while there were different COVID restrictions in place. Um, another really exciting piece that we're working on is uh, we've just automated deck permits, uh, both the building permit and the development permit. So really, really excited about this work. It was really taking a lens to uh, some of the lower risk type of work, and we can reallocate resources to the more complex type of applications. But it's a really exciting one because I'm not sure how many cities have really automated development permits and or building permits in the past. I, I don't know if ideas had any research or background on any of that, but I think it's a pretty exciting piece of innovation that we've implemented most recently. Yeah, I think for the most part, Edmonton is kind of leading the charge on a lot of different exciting projects, whether it's throwing out our rule book and creating a whole new one, or it's automating permits or creating people-centered spaces or the GBA plus and equity toolkit. Like a lot of people are doing some really exciting work. Um, so we talked a little bit about patios. Do you have a favorite patio that you've liked, to, uh, that you've attended over the summer? Well, I created a patio in my backyard that I, um, <laughs> uh, which isn't really a great public space, but, um, I, you know, I love 124th street. Uh, I love Jasper Avenue. I love our downtown. Um, so definitely a big promoter of going to our downtown, but, uh, yeah, I, I think any of a Route 107 wasn't really, it's not necessarily a patio. I guess it's a patio, but it's a really cool initiative um, to start to create vibrancy and, you know, a underutilized space, a vacant parking lot um, that's, you know, got music playing. The DBA just threw a big concert there. It's awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. Have you gotten to go to the Alfresco market that they do every Saturday and Sunday on 104? They like, close it down to cars and extend everyone's patios. I've been once. Yeah, that's, it's amazing. Um, And I think even during the early parts, uh, I guess it would have been in the spring. I'm not a hockey uh, person, but (laughs) when the playoffs were on, uh, we sat on a patio and watched uh, one of the playoffs on one of the patios on 104th street. It's great. It's amazing. There's, you know, people, we rode our bikes there, got there on the bike lanes um safely and my had my daughter with me um you know you bump into a neighbor it's just a really uh exciting way to experience the city i think i run a small business that has two employees both of which are part-time 
Um, so three total employees, if you include myself, and I literally can barely keep up most weeks. So you run six departments as branch manager, upwards of 500 employees. Do you know the exact number of people that are directly below you? Um, so it's it's six sections uh, that I have, but I ha- there's about 350 passionate city builders in my team. There you go. <laughs> so 315. So And some of them aren't even in your area of expertise. Some of them are... Uh, you're a planner by trade. Some of these are safety codes. Uh, you get some inspections, some science stuff, some engineering in there all mixed in. So, and then some of these are a little bit more longer range. You have the, you know, rezonings and subdivisions, NSPs, which are a little more long range. And then you have your like enforcement, your day-to-day uh, permitting and that type of thing. So I just want to know how you do it. I want to know how you balance it. That many employees, those many issues and that type of um, workload. I have a lot of fun. Um, I'll start there. I love my job um, and I work with amazing people and uh, it makes it easy. You know, we've got a lot of passionate, super smart, um, innovative thinkers uh, in our branch that just, I have so much fun uh, working through the different complexities of city building and so as you said, um, yeah, it's everything from that sort of rezoning, public hearing, city council every two weeks type of work, you know, to the development permit uh, and building permit issues or complexities or timelines. We hear about timelines quite a bit. Um, and then, you know, when there's the compliance issues, when we get complaints from community folks or issues from a development perspective, but um yeah, you know, I think I trust in the work of the team and, um, you know, we we all have a role to play uh, in terms of our work. We work really well together, but yeah, it's, um, it's a lot of fun and it's all about perspective, right? Keep it simple, be rational, what makes sense, what is council's direction, what's, you know, looking to provide clarity in terms of um, our policy direction as a city work through the issues focused on the outcomes that we're trying to achieve. And so again, that's always looking towards city plan around how do we best align our decisions with implementing city plan? Yeah. That, so I'm glad that you mentioned that your boots on the ground. Um, you're the one, your branch is the one like implementing city plan in a lot of ways. So um, it's, it's a hugely bold new document that completely shifts the way that we're thinking about our city. I mean, it combines the transportation master plan and then land development, basically. Um, But all of our current documents are based on that old model and based on maybe even some older models. So rather than the the nodes and corridors model that we're moving forward with. So it's going to take a long time to steer that giant ship that we've built in a new direction. So I really want to ask about implementation. Um, specifically, are there incremental goals? I I saw in the back of the city plan document, there's lots of indicators and targets and goals and that type of thing. And I find it funny that it's always in the back of the document that you find implementation, but this is the part that's most important to you and your branch. So, um, we talked about a few of those small little wins that you've had already, but are there smaller incremental goals that you're tracking or working towards? Um, kind of over the next two years, five years, 10 years that aren't over that 60, uh, 2065 horizon? Yeah, so part of the implementation of city plan is, um, you know, that's the vision. And now we have to work through the how, how do we achieve that? And there's a lot of work, obviously, that goes into aligning, aligning how we build our city to achieve city plan. And just as an example, um, from a policy perspective, 
Um, we have a lot of policies and strategies and guidelines, and <laughs> we have quite the the toolbox, I'll call it, in terms of various implementation plans for for policy documents. And so we um, have done a lot of work at looking at how we simplify our policy landscape. And so so one of our recent projects we did was that the city um, advanced to council uh, the repeal of 75 plans and planning tools. And really, it was looking at um, how we can reduce barriers to development to be more clear in our land use policy direction, because there was some clunkiness between what was in city plan and some of these other documents. The policies and the plans that were advanced no longer served their purpose. Um, They no longer aligned with our current policy. And so that was a really um, big project, I guess, just even as a start to to clean up Um, our framework of how we had, you know, a lot of clutter in terms of how we needed to make our decisions on, say, a rezoning application. And so what this will do is it allows our applicants to be more able to streamline their land development applications because there's fewer plans that need to be amended. Um, so really excited about that work um, in terms of some of the other big levers that we we are uh, pulling on is the regulatory framework of the zoning bylaw. Um, so I know IDEA members are well versed in participating in that work, but that is, um, I think where I was at you that said the rule book, we're, we're throwing out the rule book and we're creating a new one. So um, it's just such an important uh, project to better align how we can implement city plan. There's a number of other projects like district planning um, is another project that we have on the go, which is looking at how we can further translate city plan at a district level in terms of creating 15 minute districts. And so that is also work that's ongoing and will kind of align with the zoning bylaw in terms of work that's happening in the short term in the next uh that will go to council in 2023. Sorry, 2022. It's 2021 right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, Kim, one of my favorite things to talk to you about is culture change. And I feel like I've been seeing it uh, throughout the city. It's it's a big move. It's a big shift. I can't remember the last uh, exact-ish number that you gave me of how many people work at the city. I think it's like 14,000 or something. That's a lot of people to get on board with city plan, especially when it's such a monumental change. Can you walk us through some of your ideas or some forward thinking around what you want to do for communication for that, uh, helping bring your different teams on board uh, and walking them through that change as we walk the community through that change as well in industry? Yeah, that's a great question, Mariah. I think it starts with understanding our why. Um, so at the city of Edmonton, you know, we are uh, providing a public service. We're committed to providing excellent customer service, uh, being helpful and accountable uh, and safe, our, our cultural commitments. And with that, our why is city plan uh, from a planning and uh, economy perspective. And so for me, I really believe that when we understand the value of our work and how it's contributing to the goals and outcomes of our city, which is we envision city plan, um, it's our purpose. And I think, you know, we have a regulatory role to play. Uh, in terms of issuing permits, uh, doing our inspections, uh, and working through the process. 
But at the same time, I see us as your partner in city building. And it's through this partnership that we develop our city. And um, it's, a, it's a shift in the mindset, I would say, um, of seeing the outcomes of our work as shared success because I had a role to play, but so do you. And so um, I think for me, I work and try to, you know, understand all of the different services we provide, the processes that we go through, and just looking to connect the value of the work to how we're implementing city plan. Um, so I have uh, spent quite a bit of time with the team in terms of uh, getting to know what everybody does and how their work connects to those outcomes and making the connection too for people of the importance of their work. And so to me, it uh, doesn't matter what, what role you play, uh, collect, the collective of us uh, help to implement city plan. And so I get super excited about it. Um, love the passion of the team um, from the disciplines that they all bring and the lens that they bring to their work. Um, but yeah, the, the culture shift takes time in terms of that mindset shift, I guess. But um, we're really excited uh, to work with industry in achieving the vision that we see City, City of Edmonton to become. A, a really funny moment came up yesterday. Uh, we have an election committee and I was telling them how excited I was for the conversation today. And one of the uh, election committee members, her name's Lindsay, she used to work for the city five, six years ago or, or maybe longer and as soon as I said that you were going to be on the podcast, she was so excited because uh, you had hired her for forever and a day ago. And she was like, man, she was one of the best people I've ever worked for. So to see, to have that powerful memory of being empowered under you, I know that like City Plan's in a good hand under your leadership because it'll go into those different teams and kind of work its way into whether it's code inspection or it's policy. So Lindsay did want to give a shout out saying she was wonderful to work for. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. That's so meaningful um, to me. I, I think, you know, we don't always, or I don't always recognize the impact that I have or, you know, how people um, feel, feel about working with me, but I get really excited about the work. Um, I get really jacked up <laughs> about the different things that are happening and the complexities. And I love learning. Um, so the other great part of my role is I get to learn so much from so many different people in terms of the different pieces of work that we do and the services that we have in our section. So yeah, I, I'm really thankful that I get to work with the team that I do. So no, thanks for sharing that. I, I think that's a really important point too, because... Um, going back to the the 2065 horizon for city plan here, the three of us are going to be, you know, living in our timeshare on Mars by that point, probably. So like all of these little, you know, connections and people that you influence now are going to be the ones that carry city plan through to that 2065 horizon. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah. Although I still feel like I'm young. Um, <laughs> so I, I I get that I'm older, but like, you know, I feel like we'll still be kicking, kicking away at this um, and it'll evolve. We'll evolve as a city. 
we all have a legacy for sure. And, um, but I think, you know, um, providing the mentorship and guidance and um, enabling really uh, others to do great work because, you know, I always say to my team, like, I don't know your work better than you do. Um, You tell me your ideas, like, what do you think? And so I think just even through that kind of approach, we've got some really creative, innovative ideas of how we can change things, how we can make it easier to do business with us Um, through COVID. Um, our safety code team um, initiated the remote video inspections mm-hmm. because we couldn't go into people's homes because of safety. But yet we didn't want stop to see development stop, right? It was really important from an economic development perspective. And so um, we were one of the first in Alberta, I think, to sort of set the framework for how to go about doing that. Um, and I think we had a few others kind of look over the shoulder to copy us. But um, yeah, it's just impressive um, in terms of the passion that the group has uh, to try to, you know, do things differently or make it easier. Um, we're a big machine for sure uh, in terms of the work. We have a lot of volume uh, in terms of the permits or the customers calling. Uh, I think in quarter one, we had over 11,000 people call to ask questions. And so you just think about the sheer volume of that, of trying to help people through permits or inquiries, that sort of thing. And so, um, yeah, we're always looking at finding ways to make it easier to, you know, get information, get a permit. Um, And the partnership with industry is a really important aspect of that. So have uh, certainly always appreciated the strong relationship that we have with industry uh, idea, particularly in terms of helping to uh, improve. So building off of that, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, the initiative to automate uh, decks and where that idea came from? And it's it's a cool project. (laughs) It is so cool. Um, I'm so excited about it. And so, again, it comes back to that sheer volume of work looking at uh, through COVID, you know, where we were uh, resource constrained, um, but we want to support industry. And so part of it was taking a bit of a risk lens to the work about, you know, lower risk, um, how we can use technology to support the work. And DEX is where we started, right? Because it's, um, you know, you want to be able to call your friends over, (laughs) have a case of lemonade and uh, build your deck on the weekend, right? And so... (laughs) Uh, but unfortunately, uh, it might take you a little bit longer in our peak period to get that deck permit. And so um, this was a way of really trying to respond to customer needs and demands um, to make, make that an easier process. So that's where we started uh, with deck permits and building permits. And our next move is in garages for development permits for garages. And so that is launching, I don't know the exact date, probably in the next month or two here. Uh, So again, we'll sort of test um, how that goes. We're working with industry to, you know, test uh, the technology and see what the the implications are. And from there, I think it just leads us to see what's next uh, in terms of using technology to support our our business. I like that you talked about... um you know, where, where you've started with the decks and the garages, it seems like you're working from the small, easy fixes and then working your way up. So um, as a planning consultant, you're trying to make things a lot easier. 
um, for people to not hire me. So I <laughs> sounds like I still have a few years until you're getting to uh, completely eliminate my job. But I am very happy that you're that you're going that way. Uh, I wanted to flip gears here and talk a little bit about um, you mentioned it quite a few times that you're working with industry. Um, in coming up with some of these ideas for how uh, where, the, where the problem exists and then some potential solutions. I know the city collects a ton of data. Just looking at the open data portal is very overwhelming in terms of everything that's being collected. Um, are you using data in any way in your zoning bylaw renewal projects or some of these smaller projects as well? And if so, how? Yeah, that's a, that we do have a lot of data. Um, and I think we've uh, received some awards from an open city data kind of perspective uh, in the past. But, you know, historically, we have done zoning bylaw omnibus changes, looking at the data, you know, if everyone keeps getting a variance for front yard from seven meters to six meters, maybe that should be the regulation six meters, right? Just as an example, which isn't relevant. But um <laughs> just so nobody gets too excited about front yard setbacks. But um, (laughs) the point being is using data to help inform the decision making or the the possible changes to make. I think when it comes to the zoning bylaw, we're definitely looking at that. But also, you know, this is a complete overhaul of the book. Um, I think it's been 20-ish years uh, since we've really looked at the bylaw in any real depth. Looking at things from the start, I think it's Um, We've created a decision-making framework to look at why would we regulate that or not and to what extent. Um, We do have rules that have been uh, put into the bylaw over the years for different reasons. Um, Sometimes I feel like we play a game of whack-a-mole and uh, an issue comes up and we whack it down with a rule. (laughs) And uh, so it's really looking at how we can focus on what do we need to really regulate and why. Um, and creating a system for the 80%, right? Like there's, we do have issues, right? Like there are issues that um, have come up in the past. And so we fix issues, whether it's through regulatory framework or from a process perspective. And I, we, in some areas, we have the rules and processes to focus on that 20%. And I think we need to flip flip the framework to focus on the 80% to enable industry to do what they know how to do best. And so that's what's really exciting about the bylaw, the zoning bylaw renewal is because um, our key sort of strategy or operating principles is to keep it simple, um, simplify it and um, make it easy to use, make it easy to read. Um, It's not all that accessible of a document anymore. I'm a planner. Uh, (laughs) There are some zones I'm like, what? You know, you have to really focus to understand what the what the rules are in some of our zones and and the complexities of the different layers and overlays and that's different sections so um, really excited about um, you know that that part that asked those outcomes of the bylaw because it's just going to make it so much easier to use it will be more easy to automate and it's user-friendly which you know we're also mindful of the equity aspect of our work there's there's sort of four key aspects to the project. Just as a reminder, there's rewriting the book itself. Um, we have to look at our processes um, associated with implementation. We need to rezone the entire city to the new zones. Um, so that is a big project in itself. 
there's an implementation aspect in terms of um, our staff, our teams, but also from an industry and community perspective on, on you know, the work. Um, so there's the, I talked about the technology piece, but the implementation piece is just as important as writing, writing the bylaw. So we're excited to work with industry through all of this. Right now, first, I'll just say right now where we are, uh, we're in checkpoint two, uh, design and build, if I were to talk like our uh, engineering crew. But um, right now, we're sort of heads down writing the bylaw. Um, in January, the team's going to pop back up uh, with a book to share, and it will include both. Here's the new regulations uh, of the bylaw, but also here's how it will apply to our rezoning map. And so it'll be really exciting for everyone to have a look at that and uh, provide some feedback on that. I'm so excited for the training part for internally and externally. I know I'll want to attend those sessions or whatever it looks like. Uh, and we'll have like a whole, we'll have all of our members will be like, sign me up for day one. <laughs> well, it's so important that we create a bylaw that works, right? Um, <laughs> if, if you can't build something, then, you know, we haven't done our job. So I think that's why the engagement approach through all of this work has been um, sort of hand in step with industry um, and communities to understand um, how we connect our city plan vision to what happens on the ground. And so lots of perspectives to share through that. Um, we're mindful of the change management approach that's needed to um, have a successful implementation because we have zones. We have so many residential zones, as an example, on the low density side that, you know, you could be an RF1, RF2, RF3, RF5, and there's not a whole lot of difference between <laughs> many of those zones, right? right. Um, but if you, you know, tell me next door, the lot's changing from the RF1 to an RF, whatever the new zone's called, like there's a lot to really digest and understand about what those implications are. So really mindful about how we... Um, need to, you know, communicate and talk about uh, what the zoning bylaw means and provide opportunities for learning and feedback. Do you think that uh, while you build out some of those educational tools, there might be an opportunity to have those conversations around what does a community need to be successful to get to the outcomes that we we are all looking for? Because some of the really th exciting things that I saw in City Plan was, you know, walkable, bikeable, vibrant, housing options, uh, mobility options, um, different employment nodes. But for all of that to work, there's like, there's a formula. Uh, it includes density and it includes change. Uh, and that's, that can be really hard. It can be hard to work through that change. Um, are we, are you starting to think about how we communicate that to different stakeholders? Yeah, that's a great, a great point. Um, there was, uh, back in the good old days, I uh, was a facilitator for a course with the City of Edmonton called Planning Academy. And it was really just, you know, the, the two-day version of how we plan our cities. And one of the first questions I would always ask in those sessions was, what's your favorite place or what's your favorite city? And people would say, well, I really like Falls Creek or Yale Town or Vancouver, uh, Robson Street. I really like San Francisco, Toronto, London. And when you really start to break apart or dissect, what is it that you loved about those places? 
the people, the activities, the uses, um, the public space, the gathering space, the public art, the museum. I walked. I didn't use my car, right? And it's often when we're on vacation that we um, enjoy those kind of areas. But, um, you know, that could be your home. That could be where you live. And so I think, you know, making that connection of city plan to what that means on the ground in terms of creating those spaces and places. Um, yeah, there's a connection to density, economic development, investment, people moving here, migration, immigration, schools, education, like all of our web is all connected. So yeah, definitely, I think we collectively have to continue to tell that story. Yeah, I was in um, an engagement session, I want to say a month or so ago, and there was this wonderful woman who lived uh, in a neighborhood right next to Richie. And she talked about how her neighborhood is just dying for their own Richie market because she sees what that has done for the neighborhood. It's brought brought back people. It's helped increase safety. It gives people options for places, you know, have a glass of wine and then walk home after. But some of the bigger things she talked about was the schools are starting to see, that school is starting to see more kids. And that neighborhood isn't like, that school is no longer on an endangered school list, uh, what we kind of call it in the planning world, where a lot of mature neighborhoods have that concern and that worry. And I'm not sure we've helped make uh, the industry and the community aware enough yet that to make sure that their schools and their transit are viable, you know, you need a few more people, you need a few more kids. So it goes into that, like, how do you talk about like density, transportation, schools, glass of wine, they all kind of fit together to make a great community. (laughs) But that'll be the next year and a half, I guess, as we move forward. Yeah, and I think um, it's all of our role to tell that story and paint that vision. Um, Change is hard uh, when you're coming in and, you know, a neighborhood is developing. And across our city, we have um, some cities that have been you know, having infill lot splits for 10 years already. And we have some communities where they've maybe just got their first uh, or just realizing their first few lot splits and have a lot of concern. And so that sort of spectrum of change is happening at a different pace in different parts of the city. Um, So it takes time uh, and it takes leadership by all of us as city builders to talk about this and talk about the why and the value. Have you seen that conversation shift over your career? I've been a part of IDEA for four and a half years now, but you've got to see the city kind of grow from its infill roadmap 1.0 to now we're closing out 2.0. Oh, absolutely. And I think when I first started my career, um, our growth was happening in different spaces and places, right? We saw a lot of growth in our um, growth areas of the city on on the outside of the Hende. And, and now we're kind of growing in different ways. Um, and we're seeing redevelopment happen. But we're also seeing the maturity of some of these communities where some areas have, you know, reached the end of their the life of that building. And so it's time for, for redevelopment. Um, definitely, I have seen the change. And, you know, I remember a number of years ago when uh, the zoning bylaw changed to allow for lot splits uh, from the 50-foot lot to be subdivided to create two parcels. That that was a big deal. That was a big change for a lot of communities. Um, having said that, part of the other aspect of the work 
collectively with industry and ourselves is how we conduct engagement. Um, thinking about who we need to engage with and at what point, right? So, you know, often developers are visionary and uh, well-versed on city plan as an example and come into a community and just want to propose all the things that, you know, check all the boxes for city plan. But it's, the community hasn't got there yet. And so I think we just have to be very mindful about our approach to community engagement um, because they have, Uh, Communities have a huge value in city building in terms of their perspectives, uh, their experiences, and and what they can contribute to a project. Um, And I think, you know, it's it's at times more than just sending a letter to the neighbors saying, I'm doing this thing or I'm proposing this development. I think it it requires us to spend a a bit of time in that space. And I love um, a couple examples I'll just share. I was working with a um, an affordable housing provider. And, you know, we'd had the community meeting on Wednesday night at seven o'clock. And, you know, we get a lot of people that were opposed and had concerns about the project, which is really important to hear, but we weren't hearing the voices of who would maybe be supportive or, or have some ideas about welcoming people into the community. And so uh, the developer and I went to the chili cook-off on Saturday night at six o'clock and just had a table with some chili (laughs) and talked to families um, who loved the idea of the redevelopment and um, talked about how they could have a barbecue when people started moving in. And it's just, it changed the conversation from all the reasons of why not, but what could we do to welcome new people into our community? Um, Another one I really love to share uh, in terms of the approach is, you know, when you think about who your stakeholders are, um, yes, it's the property owners that live in proximity to the development, but sometimes these projects have wider impacts. Um, People come, you know, to White Avenue from from all over the city. It's it's an important, as an example, it's an important street. Um, So this one project uh, we did on White Avenue is we had a food truck and a DJ on the site on a Saturday morning as people were walking to the market and just getting a totally different perspective um, in that approach to community engagement. Um, Because, you know, even for myself, I don't know that I would go out to a community meeting at seven o'clock, like we have families, the, you know, kids are in soccer or whatever the case might be. So I think we have to be mindful of uh, engaging with our communities in a different way and in a way that might work for the community versus the send a, send the letter approach, which we, you know, works, has its purpose as well. Yeah. Letters and surveys, they serve a purpose, but I think they're not all the tools that we could use in our toolbox for sure. I know that's why Ryan's going to keep his job. You're not going to put him out of business. <laughs> He's gonna... oh, you know, it's funny, actually, you got me thinking I was working on a project outside the Henday and it's a neighborhood that's 20 years old now or almost 25 years old. So they are like at the very first stages of seeing redevelopment in their neighborhood. And to your point, the ones that are immediately adjacent to it could not like they could not see any positives with it whatsoever and probably rightfully so. But um, the further out you got, we and we did door knocking and engagements throughout like pretty much you know, a way larger neighborhood. We ended up visiting over like 200 homes. It was, it was a big deal, but the further away you got from the site, the more positive it was reflected on like, Oh, it'd be really nice to see that kind of thing happen in this neighborhood that I could maybe go to, or, you know, maybe that over there makes sense. Uh, 
before it gets over to me or whatever. So I think that's, yeah, it just got me thinking about that, that plan because now, you know, our growth areas are becoming, are, are maturing and they're starting to see some redevelopment as well. So how we kind of manage that as well as managing everything that's inside the Hende is going to be important. So, yeah. Yeah. Communication is important everywhere. doesn't matter where you go. Well, Kim, thank you so much. I know we've gone a little bit over time than when I originally had booked you, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to tell us about uh, something exciting coming up or a call to action so that the infill community, uh, both the industry and the community members have a takeaway. Um, I, I really love at the end of last week tonight, John tells you like, this is how you can help implement change. So this is tell the industry and the community, how do we implement change together? I think it starts with everyone getting a coffee, getting a glass of wine, lemonade, whatever your drink of choice is. Find a cozy spot in the backyard because I love being outside uh, and it's beautiful. Our summers are beautiful. Put your feet up and get a copy of City Plan and just spend some time reading our why, where we're going as a city. And I recognize it will have some level of change, right? People will will probably just understand why we're making the decisions or why we're going in the direction that we're going in. Um, and I think too, with that, we all have to collectively know that we all play a role in implementing city plan. It's not just the city of Edmonton. It's not just the development industry. It is all of us, including our communities. And um, we have to work together. And so my second point to that would be kind of to, or second call to action, sorry, to to carry on what I was talking about earlier is that we have to talk to each other. We have to engage with each other about what's happening, how it's happening. And sometimes it's as simple as, you know, I'm tearing down the house uh, next Wednesday because I'm building a new house, right? Like it's just as simple as letting our neighbors know what's up. And so, yeah, I would would start that everyone uh, spend some time to just take a moment to maybe a couple of moments, couple, maybe half an hour to flip through city plan to understand where we're going as a city and know that we're in this together. Um, and so we have to work together. We have to talk to each other. And so whether you're the excavator, the person putting up the fence, the builder that's um, putting in the windows, or you're the developer doing the rezoning, we all play a really important role in that. And we, we have to keep, working together and talking to each other. Yeah, I think uh, that's a great place to end it. City Plan was built with so many different voices. I know I was in some of the stakeholder meetings and it was great to see people from like the public school board and the arts community, students' communities, uh, the industry. It wasn't just like some of the frequent flyers that I am guilty to be a part of sometimes. <laughs> but it was a lot of voices that created that document uh, and focusing on the why together will help us get there. Uh, and understanding that, like, I don't build the city alone. We build it together. So let's find a way to move forward together. Thank you. That's a great summary. Um, and thank you very much for having me. This was really fun. Um, I really appreciated the time and the conversation. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Kim, for joining us today. Talking a little bit about the culture change, about zoning bylaw, district planning, There's a lot going on right now. We didn't even touch on growth management, but that's for another day. (laughs) I know we say this after every single conversation, but what a conversation. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love Kim so much. Every time I talk with her, 
like she has such a strong vision for our city she works great with everyone she's such a great like builder between uh different groups and yeah i just there's no one that's better suited for her role no she definitely works hard and she works so hard that she has a robot cleaning her house for her um which i don't know if everyone caught that in the middle of the episode there but her Roomba started going crazy and we had to cut out a, a little bit but fun story um we heard this robot going off in the background um munching up probably everything in her house without uh, being told to do so so the robot invasion is coming um and kim as good as she is uh is not immune to that yeah the robots are getting everyone yeah, but she is she is doing good work. And I mean, uh, that's highlighted by a small little anecdote. So I uh, actually just got a phone call from a group, a development company out of Kingston, Ontario, that's looking to branch out and they've like outgrown their market out there. And um, <laughs> they want to move into Edmonton. The first thing I said was, are you sure you know what you're doing? Or are you sure you, you know, like did enough research? And they specifically mentioned a number of the tools. The new city plan was one of the ones that they mentioned because um, the, the area of development they do is infill. So what they were looking at is that Edmonton's, yeah, Edmonton's actually a really good market to, to work in, which I thought was unbelievable. Yeah, I'm sure also a bunch of the stuff that uh, Kim's department is doing, it's definitely helping their move. Yeah. People yeah. are looking at Edmonton. Yeah, we talked about it in a few other episodes, but, um, you know, cities receiving awards for city plan and the equity toolkit, and it's being kind of applied um, nationally anyways. So Edmonton, all eyes are on Edmonton. We have, um, yeah, I thought it was going to be Rod, or we were told that it was going to be Roger's place that was going to make Edmonton a world-class city, but here we are. City plan is going to be the one that does it. Oh, you have no idea how happy that makes me. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, there's one thing that we talked about in there, What, um, which I'm kind of disappointed that Kim never really answered, although I've never been to her backyard patio, but we, you asked her what her favorite patio was, and then she said her backyard patio, which still waiting for an invite, Kim, but what is your favorite patio in the city? And it, I guess it could be one that, uh, that got um, approved through that system, or it could be uh, any other one. I definitely, definitely think it used the system. I love patios. If I could spend all summer on a patio, that is where I would be. My favorite patio is in downtown Edmonton. It's at DOSC. So it's right in the middle of 104. And I like to be around like a ton of people. I'm such an extrovert that way. And it's you can see the Neon Light Museum from there. Uh, the people there are fantastic. The, I love the food there and the, the cocktails there yeah. are so good. Yeah, it's just the best. What about you? Oh, they have such good cookies there at dusk too. Oh. <laughs> yeah, making me think of that. I was actually just, they have a, there's a restaurant right next to um, DOSC called Say Uncle, which does uh, like smoked meats and stuff. And I was actually just on their patio um, last week. So um, I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but it is like, it's nice to see those patios popping up on, on that street, especially um, as a result of this program. But my favorite patios, we talked about in the past, Fox Burger um, in, uh, in Belvedere. They're not Belvedere, Beverly. And then, um, yeah, rooftop patio. And then uh, for ground level patio, big fan of Next Act on just off of White Ave. Such good people watching opportunities. Uh, they have really nice little heaters and there's it's always busy. So, and the food's really great. So yeah, that would be my favorite patio for sure. Yeah, the great thing about Next Act is like, whether you love Next Act, 
and they're busy. They have a sister restaurant next door and meat is also really good. And then if you haven't gone to Pip yet, their gnocchi is unfreaking believable. Yeah. Like it's my favorite yeah. dish in the city. Yeah. Breakfast, lunch, or dinner, those three, uh, those, those people know what they're doing with, uh, with food and restaurants. Definitely. Um, do, there was a lot of stuff in here that Kim was talking about. Do we need to fact check anything? Yeah. So I went back and listened and we talked about something right at the end called the growth management framework, um, which we'll definitely tease out in future episodes. And if you haven't already signed up for the idea newsletter, do that because we'll talk about it more there. But the cool thing about City Plan is it talks about all these different opportunities Edmonton has. But the next thing is like, how do we prioritize that? Where do we put investments? Where do we upgrade infrastructure? Where do we start making policy changes? And that's kind of what the growth management framework does. And so they're working on that right now. So it's at the beginning stages. Yeah. Um, and I know I asked you the question, but I actually had some of the answers too. So we do need to fact check a couple other things. Kim uh, mentioned that the city of Edmonton received an, a data for their open, uh, sorry, an award for their open data portal. And I'll be very honest with you, Mariah, I was skeptical. I don't know if you've used the portal, um, but I have on a few occasions or at least tried to, and there's so much data in there. And you need to kind of be an expert in like how to use it and how to search it. But regardless, I looked it up. They won, the city of Edmonton won an open data award for accessibility by the Open Data Society of BC and Open North. So she was right. They did win an award. My skepticism is quelled and I'll just be better at trying to learn how to use it. It's very technical. There's so much information there. Um, in our newsletter, we do have like a permit map, which is fantastic. And one of our old communication volunteers put it together. And if it was up to me, there's no way I could have built that map the way that he did. So hats off to him. But then he, he jumps ships, starts working for the city of Edmonton and he's killing it working on the inside. So, well, all the good yeah. people leave, I guess. Yeah, inevitably. <laughs> so, but that is good that like, that's the thing. I, I felt like I needed an advanced degree in GIS to use some of their, uh, their data sources, but I'm, I'm like I mentioned in the episode, I'm very happy that there's that much data and I'm interested to see how the city's going to use it moving forward. So it is nice to see that, uh, you know, even we use it on our newsletters. Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the zoning bylaw, when was it adopted? Kim mentioned that it, she feels like it's been about 20 years since um, the last major um, adoption. And we don't know what she was exactly referring to there. But yeah, the, the, the zoning bylaw that's currently in place in Edmonton was adopted in February of 2001. So basically 20 years ago, Kim was bang on. Now, the interesting thing, though, Mariah, is do you think it was perfect right off the start? Well, I know policy writers and uh, they love to do their research and like to do things right. So I'm sure they tried to get it as perfect as possible. Yeah. I also strive for perfection and I make mistakes on a daily basis, like when I'm driving today. So anyways, uh, it got amended in that first year. So from February 2020 or 2001, um, up until the end of the year, it got amended eight times eight times in that first year in like 10 months. I'm not going to lie that that is amazing to me because it shows that they're willing to be dynamic. And I hope that we're also willing to make those changes too, because no matter what you, what we put together, it's not going to be perfect and things change. Once we put it together, uh, you stress test it as much as possible, but we need to be able to be adaptable as we go forward, willing to be, be able to delete things, add things, change things. 
So hats off to the team that was in working on it in 2001. And I agree. And honestly, yeah, sorry to interrupt, but that first adopt, that first amendment has to have been so difficult for them to be, to like, take it forward. They had to pro I imagine they tried every single circumstance to not have to bring one forward, but it was actually the first amendment was in April. So three months later, deleting a section. So, so already three months into it, they were like, you know, I don't know about this section. It's not working. And then the majority of the rest of those amendments was actually adding new things. So, you know, Kim mentioned in the episode about uh, policy writing is often a game of whack-a-mole. And this kind of highlights exactly what she was talking about. An issue raises that, of course, you didn't think about, and then you have to insert some new policy to kind of regulate that. So I thought it was really interesting. They uh, added a bunch of new sections, changed a bunch of sections, deleted only a couple things. Um, but yeah, eight times, eight times over that first year. Yeah, well, I'm a big advocate for putting it out and let's test it all together. I think if we get it 85% right and then work together uh, over the next few years after it's put out, I think we'll, we'll get it there pretty well, uh, pretty well perfect. But times change, technology changes, needs change, pandemics come, things change. So we'll need to be able to be dynamic. Uh, the one other thing I did want to highlight is the city of Edmonton. Kim talked about automating deck permits and then they were about to automate garage permits. So we did record this episode with her before that happened. They've done that now. It's going seamlessly. Uh, and next phases, I would love to see uh, houses automated because there's a lot of steps and there's a lot of different types of houses like Class A with no variances that I think we can get there. So we'll see what the city of Edmonton does next. And I did look up. I couldn't see any other city in North America that does automation for permits. So way to go, Edmonton, using technology uh, to be more efficient. That's awesome. Yeah. Focus, have um, people in the city focus on creating a perfect zoning bylaw rather than worrying about uh, reviewing and uh, rendering decisions on these very small tasks. Yeah. Have them focus on complex projects. like That's right. Yeah. Those bigger missing middle projects or those uh, really cool commercial projects or towers or things like that. They don't need to be focused on decks, garages and very, very similar single family and duplex homes, but we'll see what happens next. Yeah, I agree. That's awesome. Well, that seems like a good place to end it. So um, yeah, be, too, be sure to tune in next week. And yeah, thanks for hanging out with me. Yeah, thanks for spending your Friday with me. I'll yeah. see you later. See ya.